Smith, and welcome to The World Transformed. All this week, we're asking the question, who wants to live forever? We've got our good friend Thomas Fry with us talking about that. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I'm super fantastic. Happy Wednesday. How are you, my friend? Man, I am doing great, and uh, we've got an awesome guest this week, don't we? Yeah, why don't you bring out our guest? We have with us the world-renowned futurist Thomas Fry. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing terrific. Let me tell you about a we, – we had a mastermind group that we did a while back, and we started off with this premise of no person should ever die ever. Is that our goal? So we, we're thinking about this that, you know, sometime in the future we're going to be able to cure most diseases. And then as we were looking past if somebody has an accident, we're going to be able to, to fix most accidents. We're, we're probably – even going to be able to, to fix deviant behavior, and um, and then we could probably cure aging, and so then we come back to this premise: no person should ever die ever. Is that our goal? And if not, why not? Hmm. So, what did people decide at the at the mastermind session? Oh, we have lots of uh, diverse opinions. Some people say, no, I don't want to live forever. But it's all predicated on this notion that we're going to get old and decrepit and we're going to live forever as, as a mere shadow of ourselves because we're, we're going to be wearing the scars of life for, on forever then. But if, if we don't have to do that, I mean, if we can live as a, as a 25-year-old for the rest of our lives, would, you, would we want to do that? And then how long is forever? Uh, I, had, I had a person that actually said, says, isn't it true that uh, a person alive today is going to be the first person to live forever? And I told him, I says, you know, that's a stupid question because we'll never know if they live forever because somebody would have to live longer than them. <laughs> right. Even that person wouldn't know, right? Because it's like, well, is it forever yet? I don't know. I guess maybe tomorrow it'll be forever, right? <laughs> still not quite still not quite forever how does how does a finite being get to an infinite period of time right it, the the math there doesn't work well, that's why you know that's why i guess to me forever is probably too big of a commitment and even to say that nobody will ever die i don't know you know what what i would like to say is if you want to die that's your business right other person but for me i, I like the way eliezer yudkowski has broken it up. He's, I heard him give a talk years ago, and he was talking about this. It's like, do I want to live forever? He says, well, I, I know this much. I, I like being alive today, and I want to be alive tomorrow. And chances are tomorrow I'll feel the same way, right? So I, I'm kind of on that page, right? Day to day, it seems like a really good idea to stay alive. Now, what, whatever that adds up to, I'll let it add up to it. I, I can imagine people getting bored, maybe, over centuries and centuries if they're not if they're not being challenged, but it seems like there there would always be something new to do, something new to learn. I don't know. You got to just keep building that to do list. You know, I mean, it's exactly. uh, it's easy to get into a rut. I mean, even if your life is only uh, seventy five years long, you can get into a rut and and be bored with it. But you you don't have to. You can you can keep breaking out of the rut, and and maybe two or three hundred or five hundred years is not too long if you're continually searching for new experiences. I would think that's the key. I've never never been a fan of utopias and the utopian thinking because that that presumes that we're going to solve all the problems. I, I just don't think that that's possible. 
I do think it's possible to change our problem sets. I think it's possible to advance civilization to a point where we we have new things to wrestle with, but I don't think that we're ever going to get to a point of solving everything. It becomes such a whack-a-mole problem once we get to a certain point. In fact, it's kind of hard to imagine existence without any problems, right, without any challenges to overcome. It's kind of it's hard to picture what that would be, really. It, it, that, right. that does right. sound almost a little bit boring. But anyway, our topic here was going to be the benefits of extending life, the benefits of trying to live forever. And I think we sort of touched on a couple of them here in these opening comments. But looking at your piece, Is Death Our Only Option?, I was struck by the first two items on the, the list, both improved health and delayed death. I mean, those are, those are the biggies that we think about when we think about making making people live longer. If we're going to make people live longer, it's to really put a dent in it. We're going to have to do something about these diseases associated with aging, these diseases associated with kind of this breakdown of the body. And that and that's going to be cancer and diabetes and heart disease and and uh, the neurodegenerative stuff, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and those kinds of things. And if if you take a bite out of those, if you make serious progress on those, it seems that even if you don't look at how long life lasts, you've just made a huge improvement in quality of life for everyone on the planet, right, if those things don't have the impact that they currently do. Exactly, exactly. If I, if I want to live longer, we have to cure, we have to be able to fully repair our body from accidents. I mean, every right. year we have 4.4 million car accidents, injuries from car accidents a year in the United States. And so we have, we have a society that's been brutalized by uh, this transportation system that we've we've just grown to accept that's constantly crashing here and there, and and somehow we rather than just getting close to fixing a, a broken bone and a knee and a elbow, we we need to actually get what's fully repaired. That I think is is what everybody wants. Absolutely. Well, it, it would seem to me that the ability to repair that kind of damage would be closely related to the technology that you would need to reverse aging, right? That there's a real similarity there because aging is kind of that long-term little bits of damage adding up all over the body. And things yeah, like our transportation system just apply this gross kind of <laughs> right uh, damage to the body. What was that stat you gave again? What, how, many, how many people are injured in car accidents every year? 4.4 uh, 4 million. Good grief. Yeah. Stephen, we, yeah. we, we were talking about that a, couple, a few weeks ago. We were doing a show on self-driving cars, and I said, you know, when, we, when you talk about 30,000 people dying every year, that's just the body count. And here's the thing. Even, even people that think that they fully recover from these accidents, you, you end up with scar tissue in, your mus- in, 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 you know, in, in your, the muscles around your, uh, particularly around your spine and things like that. And so, you know, you, you're just going to have an ache and pain, uh, you know, <laughs> in that area of your body, particularly as you get older. Right. I mean, you're and those things accumulate. You didn't just have the one car accident. You also played football when you were in, in college, you know, and you and uh, you had a couple of car accidents in addition. And you, you just don't feel all that great by about the time you're 55 or something and, and you're you're trying to roll out of bed in the morning. It's uh, yeah, we're spending we're spending right at a half a trillion dollars a year fixing people after car accidents. Mm-hmm. That's roughly one out of every six dollars in the healthcare industry. And I can't wait to see that go away. And most people are 
very anxious for that to happen. Now, this last week we had a we have an accident at the, the Southwest airline where a person got sucked out of the plane. Now, that's the first injury in the airline industry in the U.S. since 2009. So that's the first fatality since 2009. So when you when you look at that, the airline industry really needs to become the metric for the whole transportation industry. Right, that's right. what we we need to expect that in the auto industry as well. And we're not even close. Yeah. And so that that I think that becomes kind of this six sigma figure that we need to achieve somehow. Uh, well, I love the idea that self-driving cars might actually make it live a little longer, right? Just just on their own, just by us not getting so beaten up by our by our cars. I, I think that's a who, who would have thunk it, right? Kind of uh, <laughs> one of those unexpected benefits. How about this this next one, kind of closely related, delayed death? And you talk about the fact that we're so focused as a culture on death and that our entertainment is all built around it and our it's kind of your whole life is built around it you know you, you got to go get your career going you know you get your education get your career going get married have kids so you can retire so you can die right i mean it's like ultimately it's sitting there staring you in the face right the whole the whole time you're doing anything in your life this this mm-hmm. idea of death yeah. what happens if you if you turn that knob down a little bit right if it's not if it's not looking you in the eye or would it yeah. still be would it still yeah, be well, and people would just be focused on it differently that's that's pretty much the plot of every show on television is somebody dies. Right. Um, every plot is oriented around a death or the threat of dying or killing somebody. And and so it would be hard for Hollywood to get creative enough to come up with some other plots. I remember as a kid, I was the, the TV was on and it was Murder, She Wrote. And my mom uh, looked, looked at me and said, you know, if she ever showed up at our house, I'm leaving without packing. <laughs> I, I would not want to be her friend let me tell you that's, that's right sure. I mean, you just don't do well if uh, yeah, those her, her friends are always ending up in a bad in a bad yeah. situation but actually that's that's probably how it would be in a world where people don't have to worry about it as much fiction would probably all be set in the past when you did right it's like most yeah, of the stories yeah. would be be kind of back in those days i like this next cluster of items on the list, dramatically improved intelligence and a new age of discovery. So this kind of flies in the face of one of the things we talked about on yesterday's show where we talked a little bit about how there might be this stagnation from people living longer. How would we become more intelligent and how would discovery, how would that, those kinds of ideas benefit from people living longer? As we ramp up our ability to learn things and we have the ability to learn things over extended periods of time, we could have, man, 200 years of uh, experience under our belt. That's a whole hell of a lot of experience to bring to the table on some new challenge. It's not just uh, the discovery stuff. And with the stuff I've, I've been talking about with artificial intelligence being infused into people, so it, it's, it's AI-enhanced humans, I see this going off in so many different directions that we can become super experts on just virtually every topic then. And that's a world that I'd want to live in. Never get tired, never get wore out, and just super uh, intelligent about every decision you make. Well, it seems like a good thing, but then, I don't know, most intelligent people get really neurotic too, so... I don't know. <laughs> it seems that all those kinds of things end up being sort of a two-edged sword, but I, I like the idea that there's an offset to the kind of downsides that we talked about previously. And I think that, I think that there really is a real 
kind of let people have more life, let them apply the intelligence that they've been able to build up, apply the knowledge and the experience in new ways, right? Because your, your, your brain isn't breaking down on you and, and the whole thing isn't heading towards this kind of terminus. And suddenly there, there is this opportunity to create and, and to do things that that we just wouldn't have thought of or that there wouldn't have been time to think of before. And related to that is when you talk about new social structures in a more stable society. I kind of like the idea, as I get older, I like the idea that maybe old, older folks actually do have something real to contribute to society. We've got such a youth-focused media and so, you know, social media and those kinds of things. There's, there's a real emphasis on the young and, and new ideas and, and how they have so much to contribute. But we might have a much more stable society if we were all a little bit older. Well, right. And if we have the awareness that, um, yeah, we tried that before World War II and, and look what that brought us. We can really appreciate all of the challenges that we've overcome throughout history and we don't want to make those same stupid mistakes again and again and again, which which seems to be kind of the uh, modus operandi for everything we're doing nowadays. The, the experience is a, is a great thing. Can we really count on that? Is that is that a real realistic thing, or am I dreaming? Part of all these things. Well, I, you know, I think I think it would help a lot. I think it would help to have people around who remember. Right? It's one of the things. One of the things we lose to old age and death is that stuff that was tried before World War II, there's nobody around now who actually remembers it, right? Or very, very few people who remember that world. 20 years from now, chances are they'll all be gone, right? Anyone who remembers the the world as it was. But if you've got a a substantial part of the population who remembers when we tried that thing 75 years ago or 150 years ago or whatever it is, and they can speak from the experience of what happens when you try that thing, it's not just theoretical. It seems to me that that would be a, that would be a huge advantage. Although one of the things you mentioned here under new social structures, which kind of got my attention is what happens when you go to a family gathering and there's seven to 10 generations there, right? What, what, you, you know, you meet your great, great, great granddaughter, what kind of relationship are you supposed to have with people who are these really kind of you know distant relatives, only you're connected in a way that you're not with any of your current distant relatives, right? But there, there's a whole new way that people have to find to relate to each other if yeah. Yeah. All, the, all the generations coexist. In China right now, um, the people that have been in the one-child policy for three generations, they have <clears throat> their entire family tree consists of them uh, two parents and four grandparents, and uh, they have no cousins, no nieces or nephews, no sisters or brothers, no aunts or uncles. It's just their entire oh, wow. family yeah. is two, two parents and four grandparents. Now, this right. has become known as the, the, the six-pocket generation because those two parents and four grandparents have no no person to leave their money to except the guy at the bottom or the person. Right, right. Usually a guy. It goes the other way too. When those people are retiring or getting old, they have nobody to depend on except that that one child at the bottom. So right. it becomes kind of a, a really a messed up situation. Suddenly we're reliving so that we we had lots and lots of generations. What's what's a world like if we still have 47 old presidents that are still alive? And they show up to all these gatherings, and we have to have secret service protecting every single one of them and their wives. And, and they all want to speak up about the day's current events, right? And, uh... <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing you can count on is eventually the old ones go away, right? I mean, sad 
but true that they get older and older and they they fade away. What happens when nobody ever fades? You know, it's it's yeah. especially worrying. I think in things like politics, but it would be true in all fields of endeavor. You would have baseball players who play forever, right? You would, writers yeah. who keep cranking out the good stuff 150 yeah. years later, right? And they stay on top forever. I mean, there there, there is a real there there is a real difference from what our expectations around that would be. Yeah, and what if compete in the Olympics 27 times in a row and none of the new new talent can break into it because you're just that good. I worry about things like that, but uh, we'll have to deal with those problems. That's a, those are good problems to have. Those are good problems to have. I think those are good problems to have. I think that'd be awesome if there's somebody who's been to 27 Olympics and nobody can beat him. I mean, as bad as that is for everybody trying to beat him, that would be somebody you would really admire, right? Whoever can run that faster, swim yeah. that faster. Whatever, whatever it is that they'd be doing. It'll be video games. That's what it yeah. is. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And who doesn't admire people who are champions of video games, right? That's huge. Um, th- this idea of a more diverse economy that you're going to have, kind of like we were talking about with different generations coexisting, you've got these different stratifications by age that just haven't ever existed before. We, we all live relatively close to each other in terms of age. We think there's these big demographic differences, and of course there are. But if you've got people who live to be 250 years old, their whole view of the world is going to be different, and they're going to be a completely different market from somebody who's, say, 50 years old, right? And there's going to be a lot more of these, uh, of these layers than, than previously existed. So how do you work as a wealth advisor for somebody who's 250 years old? Yeah, their needs are going to be quite different. Well, actually, that goes back to the there's no death in the picture problem, right? What is a wealth advisor? Yeah, yeah. well, you know, it's, that, that's an absolutely interesting question because a you know, financial advisor tells a young person, well, you've got time, you can take the risk. But they tell an older person, you need to be conservative and, and kind of protect what you have. But what if the person's 150 but they have indefinite life in front of them. Do you tell them to be conservative or you tell them to go for it? It's, that's a hard well, what, you, what, what you do is you tell them, hey, you've been divorced 87 times. You damn well better not get married again. <laughs> yeah, just, just leave that alone. You don't need to uh, yeah, I'm going to say it one more time. Prenup, okay? I, <laughs> we've been through this, but I'm going to say it once more. That's funny. Well, it, it, it's funny to think about that, too, but that, that would also be a thing that would occur, right? You hear somebody who's been married six times, you go, oh, my gosh, yeah, what, what if somebody's been married 30 times? I do, I do like that idea of having a completely different approach to investing, where it's all based on probably short-term versus long-term goals that we can't even really get our heads around, right? Because everything for us where we live right now is short-term. We live in a very short-term universe compared to these folks, that they're going to be living in a world where they have much extended options and they're, they're, going, to be, they're going to be thinking about things that we can't even imagine yet. But I'll tell you what, even the ones we've imagined here, they sound, they sound pretty good. And I think we kind of rushed through that list, but are there any other big advantages, big benefits to making people live longer that we forgot to touch on? Um, yeah, we run the mortuary business out of business. Yay. I like that. <laughs> That's a good one. And life insurance too, right? Although I guess there'd still be accidental deaths. So it yes. would still exist, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be quite the same, would it? That would be a hard business to be in. Yeah. Premiums would be low, right? I would yeah. <laughs> Just a hard, hard product to move, I'm guessing. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, 
That's a good one to end on. I like the idea of putting the mortuaries out of business. That's a pleasant thought to end on. Well, we're going to pick this up again on Friday. We've talked about the downsides. We've talked about the benefits. Let's pick it up on Friday and talk about, well, how likely is this to happen? And if it is going to happen, when will it happen? So, uh, Thomas, great having you with us, and we look forward to talking with you again on Friday. All righty. Stephen, thanks much. Uh, Great having you with us. Great having you all with us. Until next time, live to see it. 